Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized, I am going to be a dentist. Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales. As we go behind the smiles, this is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. This is a special two-part episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Learn more at yappyapp.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smiles. I am here today with David Harris, the CEO and founder of Prosperident. David, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good, Gina, and uh, excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. This is a very hot topic, and we hear more and more um, stories uh, about embezzlement in a dental office, and I have so many questions for you. But before we get started, I would like to ask you to just spend a few minutes and tell us your story, how you ended up in this field of work. Um, I'd like to tell you that I had some master plan. Um, the, 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 the truth is a little bit different than that. I, um, I had done investigation in, in a couple of other fields before I, I, in 1989, I was working for a bank and I left the bank and I was sitting at home thinking about what I was going to do next. And I got a call and it was from a guy who I'd been in high school with, who is now a dentist. And he said to me, I think my front desk person is stealing from me. And I have no one else to call. So he caught me at the right time. I, I was, you know, thinking about my future. And I, anyway, the, I said to him, I'll come over to your practice tonight after it closes and we'll sort this out. So I went over to his practice. I found out what she was doing. And in 1989, of course, people weren't computerized. It was the old um, pegboard system uh, that was in use in the practice. So I found what she was doing. Um, I came back in the next morning to help the doctor fire her, and I thought that was all pretty interesting, but I didn't certainly didn't see a career for myself or anything, and I just kind of walked away. And everything changed two weeks later. Two weeks later, I was going into my own dental practice for an appointment, and just try to imagine what was running through my mind when I had my hand on my dentist's front door, and I looked through the glass door and I saw the same woman that we fired at the other practice two weeks ago oh my sitting God. at his front desk. What I said wasn't quite as printable as that, but um, <laughs> I, I sprinted to a payphone. I called the practice. I got put through to the doctor on a bit of a pretext and I told him about the bag of tricks at his front desk and he hired me on the spot. And wow. as, I w- as I was looking at his stuff, uh, one of the local dental supply reps came into the practice and found out what I was doing there. And pretty soon a couple of his clients called me. And that was the point when, when it became a business. Um, now, 30 years later, we've got a great team. We've got, a, we've got about 25 people. Wow. And we only work with the dental profession. We don't, we don't help any other community. Um, and actually, we're busy. We're hiring. That's incredible, and not a good news for for us dentists. Uh, well, as as I have to tell people sometimes, I don't cause the embezzlement; I just keep score. 
<laughs> That's true. So let me ask you a question. In your opinion, um, is uh, embezzlement in the dental office on the rise or are we just more aware of it? Uh, I think both. Um, Technology is a huge enabler. You know, people can steal now in ways that just weren't remotely possible in 1989. Um, and certainly the dollar amount per theft is is climbing. I mean, when I started in this game, Gina, uh, a $30,000 theft was big. Um, now the average is over $100,000 and we've seen wow. uh, a decent quantity of million dollar plus thefts. Uh, wow. So, so the scale is bigger. Um, I think more doctors are getting hit, but I think also, fortunately, more of them are becoming aware and, and, and taking defensive measures. Uh, let's talk about defensive measures. And I want to come back to something you just said earlier, but since you mentioned defensive measures, I mean, let me ask you something else before we even get there, because my understanding is one out of two dentists will get embezzled in their lifetime. Is that accurate or is it um that's that's probably a little bit low and and i'll i'll start by saying there are some unquantifiables here for example we don't know how many people get embezzled and don't discover it i'm sure it happens but i just don't know how much we also don't know how much embezzlement gets found by the doctor but not reported anybody doesn't find its way into the statistics based on what is reported if you were graduating dental school today, I would tell you there's a 60% chance that you're going to be victimized at some point in your career. Oh, that's the, just scary. The real number, Gina, is probably more like 80%. Wow. And, and yes, I agree. It's scary. I mean, if this were a, a, a physical disease, the Centers for Disease Control would be would be studying it to death. That is scary. It is an epidemic. That would be, you're absolutely right. If, if yeah. CDC would qualify it as an epidemic. And I, and I think what's scary is that it's not only um, loss of money that's involved here, it's also loss of faith in people. And, and you know, I, am, I have a large practice with 30-some employees, including number of associates. Um, I have a software company where we employ almost um, uh, just, just a little over 50 people now. Yeah. And it's funny, every time I, I record a podcast, the number of people increases. And, you know, I have no choice but to delegate and to trust. And in an average office, you probably have 10, uh, 9 to 12 employees somewhere there. Well, maybe some practices are smaller. How do you go on delegating and trusting your employees once you've dealt with embezzlement or once you've um, you know, you've, you have a friend or, or a colleague who has been embezzled from. That's, I think that's the most difficult part. And it's so personal, too. Yeah, let me pick up on that first. You're absolutely right. You know, when we compare this to most types of crime that your audience might experience, other than embezzlement, it's an impersonal crime. In other words, uh, you leave your briefcase in the backseat of your car and somebody smashes the window and pulls out your briefcase in case the laptop is in it. Um, and you know, there's, there's nothing personal about that. I mean, you weren't specifically targeted other than that you, you created an opportunity. Embezzlement is done by somebody who you're very close to, you know, you may work 15 feet away from them all day. You sign their paychecks. You went to their daughter's wedding six months ago, not realizing how much of it you were really paying for. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a very, 
personal crime and, and, uh, you know, the, the wounding that dentists feel from choosing to trust somebody who then turns around and leverages that trust in a theft is, is considerable. Um, so yeah, it, it absolutely is a personal crime. And I'm sorry, there was a second part to your question and I got, I got so involved in that part that I, I didn't really answer it. Well, and I think it's just very, not only you suffer the financial loss, you suffer, you know, it's a time setback yeah. and, and, you know, sometimes your patients are affected because their, you know, yeah. their accounts are messed up. Sometimes it could be something that literally affects your patients, um, you know, not only accounts with you, but in general. And, um, but it's also, it's personal. Uh, but it's also kind of sets you back as a business owner, as a leader for the future, yeah. because now you can't trust anyone. Because you was, yeah, yeah. Your, your question was really about trust. And I'll, I'll say a couple of things on trust. The first is that the way we humans deal with trust is kind of interesting. When you first meet somebody, you size them up and you ask the question, can I trust them? And the, the behavioral research suggests that, that this sizing up is done in about seven seconds. Right. And once you've done that, if you decide you can trust somebody, you kind of lock that away in a closet and you, you never revisit it again. Um, which, which would kind of be like as a dentist um, examining somebody's primary dentition and saying, you look good. Don't ever come back. Uh, and, and, and just like teeth move around and their condition changes, uh, so do humans. And to me, trust needs to be a much more fluid dynamic concept then simply we we make that decision once early on and never ever revisit it again we need to reevaluate whether people are still trustworthy and that that just isn't human nature um the, the second thing i'll say about uh trust is is this uh, a lot of dentists struggle with the difference between delegation and abdication true Delegation meaning you offload, but there's some accountability back to you. Um, abdication meaning you offload and you forget about it. Right. And my theory is that very few people get to be dentists because they have this unquenchable desire to be business owners. <laughs> um, people choose dentistry as, as a healing art, not really desiring to, to run the business. And... For somebody in that mindset, abdication, you know, if it had no consequences, would 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 be exactly what they want. Right. I don't like to deal with it, so yeah, my Debbie office can manager, take care of it. My my office manager is handling that, so I can totally forget about it. And you know, I don't need to look at reports from my computer. I don't need to do whatever because somebody's handling that for me. And that's that's dangerous. So does that make dentists an easier target or what makes us an easy target? Well, that's part of it. Um, part of it is, uh, you know, if, and, and, and let's, let's go back to when I started in 1989 versus now. Um, the, the financial part of dentistry was a lot simpler in 1989. For example, a lot of practices didn't take credit cards. Right. Uh, and PPOs really didn't exist yet. So. Uh, you know, the, the, the big adjustments that have to be, be made to get from a practice as usual fee to the, the one that, uh, is, is, is contracted in the PPO arrangement, that didn't exist. And 
in those days when people paid by credit card, there was a physical imprint made of the credit card on a piece of paper, and that piece of paper was deposited in the bank. So in those days, what you carried to the bank was the entire bank deposit versus now where a lot of practices use check scanners so that, you know, it's, it's images of the checks that are sent to the bank instead of the physical ones. And everybody taking credit card payments uses a merchant terminal. So that money shows up automatically with a delay. And then we have ACH payments, automated clearinghouse payments, where money comes into the practice directly deposited by a um, by an insurance company, and then the, the, the practice has to kind of internally account for that money. Um, all those kinds of things have made the finances of dentistry much more complicated than it, than it once was. Um, layer on top of that computers, and, and um, I'm, I'm speaking to somebody with an IT business, so um, I'm, I, I think computers are wonderful in a lot of ways, and, and certainly we as a company could not function without them. Um, but at the same time, there was a change when doctors put away their old pegboard systems and went to computers. And if any of your audience members remember pegboard, um, they, they probably have a smile on their face. It was pretty simple. I mean, you got to see, as, as, as the reviewer at the end of the day, you got to see raw transactions. You even saw handwriting from who did them. True. Um, versus computerized systems, which capture a lot more information. But then they present it as reports. And by, by definition, a report is an abstraction of transactions. That's true. Uh, and is, you know, that, that change um, meant that many doctors kind of mentally were, were taking some steps back from being as, as deeply immersed as, in their information as they typically were in one right. Or, or pegboard. Yeah, technology has, has opened this way up. And I don't work in other businesses. We, we really only work with the dental community. So I don't have any direct experience in working with other businesses. But I can tell you that the, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, which is a, a group that uh, uh, educate and, and, and certify people in the kind of work I do, say that the three biggest targets for embezzlement are uh, government, charity, and healthcare. Wow. Um, when you think about what those three have in common, and it's, it's, it's probably not obvious, but uh, when you think about most businesses, there's an exchange of goods or service for money. So I go to a car dealership and I buy a car. I give them money and they give me a car. And if I was looking for fraud in that, kind of environment, you know, I could see how many cars the car dealership sold in a year and figure out reasonably quickly how much money they should have brought in. Uh, government and charities do not typically exchange money for services. In fact, sure. if you think of what government does, it collects money from one group and it distributes it to a totally different group. And charities kind of do the same thing. So that, that, that basic exchange isn't there. With healthcare, it's there, but it's imperfect. And the reason it's imperfect is because of insurance. Third party, yes. In other words, most practices collect most of their money not from their clients, and I'm, I'm, I'm using that word very deliberately. Uh, they collect most of their money from insurance companies, and they deliver services to a different group. And, and, and so it's somewhere in the middle between most commercial operations and, and government and charity. 
Very true. And, you know, it's interesting. What struck me about those three is that typically government health care and charity are not run by business people. They're run by people that, um, you know, people who go into government, they go for policy, right? People who go into healthcare, they go, as you said earlier, as dentists, we were there for the art of healing and yeah. charity because people want to give back. And, you know, if you go to a bank, there are, you know, hardcore businessmen behind uh, banking infrastructure. So it probably has some impact on that. Uh, that's a good point that I hadn't thought of. And, and yes, you're right. Um, you know, government and charity and, and healthcare are all run by, um, I hate to use this word, but maybe technocrats as opposed to bureaucrats. Right. You know, yeah. people's, people whose, whose primary function is, is their own, uh, their own technical knowledge as opposed to running a business. Very true. Very true. So uh, let's go back about practicing defensively, so to say. Is it possible to protect ourselves or is it purely an opportunistic crime or is there um, a common, you know, is there, is there something in between there? Um, there's a mistake that a lot of people make when they think about this crime. And the mistake, Gina, is that they try to equate it to other types of crime like burglary. Um, just a stupid question here. Do you have an alarm system on your house? I do. Okay. And alarm systems are really effective. That alarm reduces your chance of being burglarized by about 60%. I also have a German shepherd who barks very loudly. <laughs> okay. So, so, so now you're up to 80%. And the, the one thing that will take you really close to 100% of, if you put a sticker on your front door that says that you're a life member of the National Rifle Association. Okay. Um, those those things are all effective, um, and you know they're all they're all good ideas. But we have to look at what they do to crime overall, and the answer is absolutely nothing. In other words, if I'm standing on your front door and my plan is to rob your house, those things will make me reconsider. But reconsideration will not give up will not mean giving up my plan to rob some house. It just means I won't rob yours. Very true. Um, I will go to your neighbors, and if, if their place is undefended, then I'll burglarize them instead. I um, remember, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I remember yeah. you speaking on this subject a few years ago. I believe it was at the townie meeting, and you gave this analogy that made perfect sense. You gave an analogy of someone who wants to uh, uh, steal a car, and they would go and they touch a handle to see which car is already open because that kind of lends itself. And sometimes you can see that on surveillance videos where, you know, uh, a potential burglar is literally scouting the neighborhood looking for an easy target. Exactly. And, uh, oh, it's, by the way, it's very flattering when somebody tells you what you said at a, <laughs> at a presentation that was probably six or seven years ago. Thank That's you for true. that. Um, but you're right. Uh, burglars, the, the thing about burglars, Gina, is that they don't have any particular attachment to a target. So if they're standing at your front door and they decide that your house is not a good target, they just move down the street and, and, and burglarize your neighbors. And that's the, that's the distinction that people fail to make sometimes when they're thinking about embezzlement. If I work for you and I want to steal from you, it's very difficult for me to switch targets. I have to quit my job. True. Then, I, then I have to find a job with another dentist and I have to invest 
many months of, of time to get to understand their systems well enough to steal. Um, so embezzlers don't easily give up on their target. What they do instead is they look for an alternate methodology. Um, and, and one of the little frustrations I have about a lot of the information out there is it's really about making your practice a hard target. And the hypothesis that I think is flawed is, and if you do that, people won't steal from you. What really happens is they steal from you, but just in a different way. True. So, for example, if uh, the practice, if, if the way your practice works is that a staff member takes money to the bank, um, you know, at some point you may get the idea, well, if I let that happen, there's some possibility that the amount that leaves my practice is greater than the amount that shows up at the bank. So really, I should make the bank deposit myself. I mean, that's that's kind of how this thinking unfolds. And if I work for you and I want to steal from you and I just can't do it that way, uh, that's not going to send me home to join the church choir. I'm going to simply look for a different way to steal. And frankly, in most offices, I have a lot of options. And this is really scary because, it, it you know, basically once you end up hiring an embezzler, you're kind of done. I mean, they're going to somehow find a way to, to embezzle from you. And, and what's even more scary is that, you know, I'm, I participate in a lot of dental forums and dental Facebook groups, and you always hear, we're not going to talk about any specific methodology here, of course, because we don't want to, you know, yeah. we're gonna, we don't want to teach anyone. But I, I see dentists say, you know, I do this myself, and I do that myself, and I check this, and I check that, and I have, um, you know, a, a camera recording at the front, and I have, and and it seems like, well, you're going to do all of that technical work yourself, uh, or, you know, bookkeeping, manual work, and then you're going to sit and watch um, eight hours of footage and video every single day. Uh, that sh- that's just not realistic, because someone still has to do dentistry at the practice, and unless you literally have your wife work and I don't even know if wife can be excluded, right? Because we've had situations where um, I've heard I, of cases. I've, I've had three calls this week, and it's an unusual week from, <laughs> from people reporting their spouse embezzling. And I, I have a friend uh, who's now divorced, who's yeah. been through uh, maybe not an embezzling in a traditional sense of the you know word, but uh, you know she's she's uh, uh, cost them a lot of money that way. Um, so, so what do we do? I mean, is it possible to protect ourselves? It is. Um, but what we have to do is we have to drop the word prevent from the embezzlement vocabulary. Prevention doesn't exist. What does exist is the ability to realize that it's going on. And that's a place where there's considerable room for improvement. I mean, on average, in dental practices, the embezzler gets away with it for almost two years. Oh, my goodness. Undetected. And that's a number that we can wind backwards if we do certain things. Wow. Um, and here's, a, here's another part of where people are misdirected. I mean, something I hear a lot from people about embezzlement, because, you know, if I, if I sit on an airplane and a dentist sits next to me, um, you know, once they find out what I do, the next thing they want to do is they want to tell me, here's what I am doing to protect myself against embezzlement. And what they want me to do, of course, is nod and smile and say, well, of course you're doing the right thing. And a lot of times 
uh, what I do instead that makes the next four hours for them being next to me seem really, really long is I say, if you do that, what do you think the embezzler's response will be? So somebody will say to me, okay, I have my practice management software set up so that everybody's user rights are only what they need to do their job and no more. And what I say to them that makes, you know, that United, the Hemispheres magazine that United has in those seat pockets seem really interesting to them is, so if I want to steal from you and what's holding me back is that my password in your software won't do what I want it to do, what do you think my workaround is? And they kind of think about it for a minute and will sometimes say, well, I guess you would try to acquire somebody else's password. And the next thing I ask them is, and of all the passwords I could get in the practice, which is both the easiest to get typically and the most capable? It's the dentist, because the dentist will not log out every single time they go do a crown prep. I don't. Well, and even if you did that, um, I have other methods, and I won't, I won't outline them here. But what I will say is it's not that hard for somebody who has decided they want to get your password to have it. And when you look at any practice management software, the way it's designed is that the administrator level password, typically the doctor's password, uh, can do anything in the software. And really what the power that everybody else has is some subset of what the doctor has. Right. Uh, so if I get your password, then all the security features that Dentrix or EagleSoft or Open Dental built into its software go right out the window. Um, so, you know, the again, the concept that we can prevent this or that there's there's some magic pill that we can take that will protect it, will protect us, is is fallacious. Um, what I would like to encourage your audience to do specifically is to become better observers of their staff. Here's the, here, here, here's the important part. When somebody's stealing, in various ways, they act like they're stealing. Interesting. And there, there's, there's been a fair amount of research on this. Um, it will suggest, for example, that more than 90% of embezzlers will display at least one behavioral characteristic of embezzling. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk in a minute about what those might be. Um, and that more than... 65% of embezzlers display two behavioral characteristics. Wow. So let's ask ourselves, how do thieves act? Um, there are a lot of markers. For example, we know that thieves in dental practices typically want to be alone when they're doing some of their stuff. Um, you know, first of all, a, a practice can be a busy place with a lot of interruptions and stealing takes concentration. And secondly, they don't want to be midway into something and have the doctor come around the corner and say, oh, Mary, what are you doing? So they will try to work their life so that they get some alone time in the practice. So if we have some system to monitor alone time, um, then we... You know, if, if we suddenly realize that somebody's coming in on Saturday afternoons, um, we get a little suspicious. Most practices have alarm systems. If you ask the alarm company, they will typically set up some way of notification. It might be texting you when somebody comes in outside of a certain bracket around work hours, or it might be sending you an access log once a month that shows when, when your alarm was armed and disarmed and by whom. 
That's a great tip. And the good news about that is it, it takes virtually no time. Um, you know, if you can, if you can get your alarm company to text you when, when people enter the office at an unexpected time, you, know, you spend zero time at that, but you get a heads up to the, to the possibility that something's going on. That's an excellent point. One of the things that we have here is we have a keypad with individual codes so you could see who's coming in outside of uh, normal hours. Okay. And the, the question really, Gina, is, is it, it's great that that information is collected. Is somebody doing anything with it? In other words, are, are, are you or somebody taking a look once a month? That's and, a great point. You know, seeing if, if somebody's showing up at eight o'clock on Friday night. That's a great point. Um, so you, you, you have the basics in place. Now you just have to go that, that, that one extra step. Um, another thing I'll say about embezzlers is that they tend to be control freaks. So they're very possessive about their duties and often it extends even to their, their workspace and their computer. I, I got a call maybe a month ago from a doctor and, um, on a day when his office manager was not working, there was something he needed that he thought was in her in her office. So he went in and looked for it, and she found out about this later, and she freaked out. Wow. And he called me and said, do I need to be concerned about that? And I said, yeah, absolutely, you do. Um, so there's, there's a territoriality or a possessiveness. They will really fight hard not to cross-train anybody in any part of their duties. Because as soon as that cross-training happens, there's at least the possibility that their job gets broken up. And, right. you know, the, 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 the less of the process you're personally involved with, the, the more difficult it is for you to pull off a theft. And, of course, the other person might start questioning some of the things that they're seeing. So they don't really want any, another set of ice. Well said. Um, the, you know, the old adage that knowledge is power completely applies here. Um, another, another marker of, of uh, embezzlement is the person who refuses to take vacation. Um, and a lot of embezzlement requires maintaining a little bit of control over how information flows through the practice. So certain embezzlement patterns will cause patients to call and, you know, question their bills or you know, gee, I was in last week and I paid in cash, but I got my bill and it says I paid by credit card. You know, that kind of that kind of comment may emerge. And as long as I'm there and I take those phone calls, I can deal with it and prevent it from escalating. If I go on vacation for a week and three or four of those phone calls come into my replacement, they may go into the doctor and say, there's something weird going on here. Interesting. Uh, so, so vacation reluctance is a, it, it is another symptom. Um, I'll, I'll make a basic observation about human nature. Honest people don't feel a need to keep telling other people how honest they are. <laughs> uh, when you're dealing with a staff member who emphasizes their honesty, um, that's typically a danger sign. Thanks for listening to Behind the Smiles. Stay tuned for part two of this episode coming up next. This podcast episode was brought to you by Yappy. 
Not only does Yappy automate the busy work, it helps you get back to what's most important, taking care of your patients. So take a demo today at yappyapp.com.